0: Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of All in a Day's Work. My name is Emily Anderson, and I'm so thrilled to be speaking with Robert Lee, Chief Executive Officer of Rescuing Leftover Cuisine, for today's episode. Robert, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure. So we can just go ahead and dive right in. You know, before we talk about all of the amazing work that you do with Rescuing Leftover Cuisine, I would love to first talk about what brought you to NYU Stern and what experiences you pursued during your time as a student.
1: Yeah, my I think there were a lot of things that brought me to NYU Stern and really kind of goes back to my background. I mean, I grew up, I'm a native New Yorker, grew up in Queens and Flushing, and I really wanted to kind of stay local for a number of different reasons. But, you know, one of the reasons was just in terms of background, my parents had come from South Korea. And they didn't know English, and so, you know, I, I wanted to kind of be close enough to be able to help them with bills and stuff like that, that they needed translation for <laughs> and things like that. And, you know, truthfully, you know, the, the reason why I chose NYU Stern is because I, I wanted to be in finance, and I wanted to work in a space that would help me get there faster. So NYU Stern was an amazing place to, to do that, and, and it was incredible to, to be there. I kind of miss it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. During your time at NYU Stern, what sorts of opportunities or or clubs or kind of extracurriculars were you involved with as a student?
1: I tried to be as open minded as possible. And I ended up doing as many things as possible. I was uh, the NYU Bobcat the mascot for a bit. <laughs> During that first kind of week, I wanted to kind of just explore all the interests I had. And so one of the things that I came across that really resonated with me was a club that was called Tubers One Stone. And they brought leftover dining hall food to homeless shelters. And before that time I I thought it was illegal to donate food. And I think many people might, you know, have heard that at that time too. But I kind of grew up just rescuing excess from anywhere I was, right? I I grew up in school taking home, you know, bags of carrots and apples and things that, you know, other kids would throw away. And it was heartbreaking to me to see people just throw out the ends of their sandwiches because they didn't like the crusts or that kind of thing. And for me, because I kind of grew up in a background where it was tough to actually find food sometimes, it was difficult for me to kind of, you know, see that. And when I came across that club at NYU, I just, I became obsessed. You know, I, I asked him a bunch of different questions. And I remember at Club Pump Fest, I asked him, you know, the, the person who was there, um, you know, when they work and how they operate. And I honestly got involved with Two One Stone to solve what I thought was a major issue, which was that they don't work on weekends. And I was like, oh, man, do people not need to eat on weekends? I was being all cheeky and ridiculous. But, you know, it was it was amazing to kind of see the the work that they did, you know, just six months in. And, and I joined in just, you know, just to kind of solve that problem. And I got more and more involved as, as the years went by.
0: We also kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about the Reynolds Changemaker Challenge that you participated in while at NYU. Unfortunately, this program does not exist any longer, but... Could you just talk about your experience and how it sort of planted the seeds for what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, we found out about the NYU Ronald's Change Maker Challenge mostly while looking for, you know, venture competitions, and it was during my senior year in 2013, and at that point I had already kind of signed my life away, and, you know, to J.P. Morgan, and it was a little, like, late, but I was thinking about what my life would be like after college, <laughs> but I couldn't let go of food rescue. I couldn't imagine my life without it. And the NYU Rental Change Challenge kind of, you know, helped us hone our strategy and our thoughts around how we would expand it beyond the borders of NYU, right? And taking the food rescue aspect and making it easily accessible for for profit food donors rather than just dining halls and thinking about how we can make the pitch so that it would align with business interests. So it was a really great way for us to really sit down and write a business plan, write, you know, a a marketing plan and thinking about how it would work and thinking through all the details of it.
0: So you kind of touched on this earlier, but after you graduated from Stern, you started a role at J.P. Morgan as an investment management risk analyst. How did this opportunity come up and kind of what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, it was really great. And I really enjoyed my time at Chief Morgan. The opportunity came about through, at that time, I think it was called on campus recruitment. And the process was amazing. I think, you know, the resources that Wasserman kind of provides in terms of having internship opportunities and also just bolstering your resume. You know, I worked in various different spaces while I was at NYU and All of my part-time jobs and internships, I got basically from Wasserman. You know, I think the experiences really helped me talk to different angles and and also just explain clearly why I wanted to be in investment management and and why specifically risk, right? You know, my initial plan was to get a lot of experience and learn a lot in the for-profit space. And, And I thought that I could do that by being a risk analyst, overseeing all the 140 funds across, you know, equity, fixed income, and multi asset and, and, and you know, having an eye into all the different strategies and funds. And then eventually, what I wanted to do was kind of hone in on one, I, I specifically had my eye on kind of small cap equity, but my, my career kind of trajectory kind of led me a, a bit astray from that. But it was a great opportunity. And it was it was amazing to, to work there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, always love hearing a Wasserman's success story. So, you know, during your time at J.P. Morgan, you were also kind of working on rescuing leftover cuisine on the side while it was still in its early stages. Could you talk about some of the challenges that you faced while trying to juggle these two roles and kind of how you eventually made the decision to, you know, focus on rescuing leftover cuisine full-time?
1: Yeah, it was tough. I think, you know, for the J.P. Morgan internship program, it was actually a new role. And so the investment management, you would sometimes come out at, you know, 8, 10, sometimes midnight. And the, the first thing I would do is go to the restaurant that we work with at, at RLC and rescue their excess food and, and bring it to a homeless shelter. And, you know, to, to me, I think it helped me stay true to kind of what I wanted to do with my time. And, you know, it made me think about kind of how I spend my time. Patrick Morgan. And, and granted, I mean, obviously I was, I was very junior and, you know, there's a lot to learn, but I was, I was impatient. And I think I wanted to learn at a, at a faster clip. I wanted to get my hands dirty and I wanted to do much more. And I think juggling the two roles was not as challenging as the opportunity cost that I felt of not working on RLC full-time. And so that kind of motivated me to to focus on RLC. And, and after one year at, at, at J.P. Morgan, I wanted to, I just, I, I kind of talked to my supervisors and, and his supervisor and, and told them, hey, I'm not, you know, leaving for a competitor. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, uh, anywhere else. I'm, I'm trying to work on this thing and see if it works, right? And it's a big risk, but I want to give it a shot. And they were very supportive and they're very incredible with, with kind of their, their offers to you know have me part-time and you know that kind of thing and so I think it was less the juggling aspect because I think I was just used to working a lot already (laughs) but you know it really helped me stay grounded and really helped with me focusing on what I wanted to do and now a word from Rachel
2: Crown a recruitment manager at the Wasserman Center As mentioned earlier in the episode, the Wasserman Center has programs for recruitment on campus. One particular program is called the On-Campus Interviews program. On-Campus Interviews, which is often shortened to OCI, occurs every academic year and is a great benefit for students looking to secure jobs and internships more easily. But you may be wondering what exactly is the On-Campus Interviews program? Well, here's how it works. Companies that are looking to recruit talented NYU junior, seniors, or master's students for seasonal internships or full-time position will partner with the Wasserman's recruitment team to streamline the application and interview process. During OCI, an employer will post an open position in the job section of Handshake, and qualified NYU students can directly apply by the application deadline. Once the company reviews all student applications, they will select specific candidates to participate in an on-campus interview day, which occurs at the Wasserman Center or virtually, depending on the employer's preference. Piece of cake, right? OCI is only open to NYU juniors, seniors, and master's students. In order to gain access to the program, students must watch an OCI orientation video and submit a final quiz, which is reviewed by the Wasserman Center. To learn more about OCI, email recruitment at NYU.edu or visit the Wasserman Center's website in the Find a Job or Internship section. Participating in OCI gives NYU students the opportunity to shine and put their best foot forward in their career path. Now back to the show.
0: Now that we're kind of pivoting into your experience working on RLC in like a full-time capacity, could you just talk through kind of some of the day-to-day operations and goals of the organization?
1: Yeah. Oh man, there's so many. And I think on the day-to-day, there's a lot of different operations, right? I mean, we, we do about 300 pickups per week where we partner with restaurants, food businesses, catering companies, offices, Stadiums, all kinds of different food donor partners, and cornering their excess at the end of the day, or you know, whenever they have excess food, to you know, be picked up by volunteers who may or may not be you know free at that time, uh, and then bringing it to homeless shelter food pantries that are also either nearby or can accept the food. Right, so you know, we automated a lot of it through technology and through our proprietary web you know application, but the day to day basically kind of really looks like working on the web application to make sure that all the pickups are covered, ensuring that all the new food and partners who are on being on board right now are on track and all the things that you would kind of, you know, expect in in a normal business, right? Accounts receivable, accounts payable. And, you know, there's just all kinds of things that, that you get involved in <laughs> as you grow. Could you
0: talk us through some of the growth that the company has underwent? So, Where are you at now in terms of staffing, markets you're present in, and how that growth process has looked?
1: Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, admittedly a little haphazard. I think we were very ambitious, uh, and we still are, (laughs) I think a little bit too much probably. But, you know, in the beginning, we had, you know, just myself full-time, and, you know, we were fortunate enough to be highlighted in a number of different media, like Huffington Post, CNN, and, you know, New York Times, and things like that. And that brought us a lot of attention from around the world. And we had branch requests coming in from Spain, from Vietnam, from Mexico, Canada, but also like pretty much all 50 states in the U.S. And so we were kind of open and probably really not smart about the way we were expanding. And one of the biggest pieces of advice that I I, I would like to give is really just, you know, having a strong purpose uh, around growth and really thinking about what the reason is for growth and one of the things that we did was just we tried to help everyone and in a way it kind of worked you know shotgun approach we had like 12 branches at some point and it, it had its ups and downs because we had just volunteers because we didn't have the resources to actually pay them and so now currently we're in nine different cities across this country all full-time all staff led i think there's been a lot of learnings around along the way. But, you know, we're hoping that we continue to learn at a fast clip so that we can really make this a real thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, so much of the kind of business model is based around partnerships with different organizations throughout the cities that you're located in. What is your approach to kind of building these partnerships and lasting relationships with the organizations that you're working with?
1: Yeah, we really see ourselves as um, partnership driven we we work with, you know, as I mentioned, all kinds of different food and partners, you know, production companies. I, I think I didn't mention all, you know, the, the different types. And, you know, when we partner with these food businesses, we really want to show that Food Rescue can be a professional service. I think there's a lot of non-profit organizations or even just, you know, people who want to help who rescue food on the side just, you know, for fun. And, you know, sometimes it ends up actually making it seem like the industry is not actually a professional industry where people will not show up or or, you know, they'll only take half of the stuff that was donated and stuff like that. And, you know, I think the way we approach our partnership is is basically professional, right? We we charge for our services and if we do something wrong we we refund them, right? We there's a recourse. And I think that same kind of professionalism translates to our volunteers and to our, you know, nonprofit partners so that we can ensure that the food is good, top quality, clean, not like rotting and, you know, our nonprofit recipients can really trust that the food is, you know, coming and it's coming on time and and that they can rely on it because they have lines out the doors and, you know, it gets to be scary if you don't have that food coming in, right? You know, we truly want it to be as seamless and as easy as possible.
0: You touched on this earlier, but kind of about the unpredictable nature of today's world, kind of pivoting into like the COVID-19 pandemic. How did the pandemic affect RLC's process and business model?
1: As you can imagine, it was a huge disruption. I mean, all of our restaurant partners that we were working with basically had to close and they were left with so much excess food. Just as a you know quick anecdote, I mean, right after the lockdown, we were reached out to by tons of different restaurants, including you know, Pret-a-Majé and even Pontfrites near NYU. And I went in person to that Pontfrit pickup, and down in their cellar, we rescued over two tons of potatoes, just potatoes upon potatoes. And you know, it was incredible to see how the community really stepped up. I mean, we worked with used car dealerships who brought their showroom cars to load up all the potatoes, right, and. It was incredible to see that kind of movement to really, you know, make sure that that excess food didn't go to waste and that it went to people who, you know, all of a sudden were out of a job um, because all the restaurants were closed, no more, you know, service, no more dishwashers, no more positions for all these folks. And so in general, the COVID-19 pandemic also shined a lot of attention on the problems of food insecurity. And we saw that, you know, there were a lot of renewed interest in making sure that we didn't leave behind folks who didn't know where their next meal was coming from, right? And so we saw that we had this big spike in supply of all this excess food and then all of a sudden nothing, right? <laughs> Meanwhile the the continued huge spike in nonprofit recipients of who needed the food continued to rise. And we were forced to basically kind of think about who was still around and who can provide excess food. And we were able to work up the supply chain. There were a lot of retailers, supermarkets that were still obviously thriving during the pandemic, as well as different uh, food businesses that produced food. And as, you know, people come back from offices and restaurants reopen again, we're, we're really excited to kind of work across the supply chain and work with all these different food businesses across the board. So, you know, it was definitely very stressful, but largely in any crisis, there's always opportunity. And I think there's always opportunity to do good.
0: So what advice would you give people who want to work in social impact? And what steps do you recommend people take to get involved in the issues that they care about?
1: My main advice is to just start small, because I think if you asked me in college, what I'd be doing (laughs) at this age, I'd be like, oh, yeah, i would be, you know, starting a venture capital fund or, you know, something like that and uh, selling in finance. And I think that for folks who want to do it now rather than doing it later, right? Because my initial plan was to go into finance, make a lot of money and, you know, make a lot of connections and then do it when I'm older, when I'm retired, right? And I think some of the problems we have are more pressing than that. And we need more people who can, you know, do it now, right? And I think for those who don't know where to start, I'd say start small, Because at Two Birds, One Stone, I I literally just joined to solve that little problem of working on the weekends. And then that problem grew to another problem that we weren't working with other dining halls and we're only working with one. And then before you know it, you figure out, you know, business models and ways to make it possible for it to organically grow and sustain yourself.
0: So I think that we're dying to know what's next for you. What are you thinking about? What can we expect from RLC going forward?
1: Yeah, we're really excited. We have a lot of plans, um, very ambitious ones. And, you know, our our hope and goal is that we can continue to kind of expand and and grow very quickly and make a lot of impact. But truly, you know, what we are seeing is that there's a lot of demand for ensuring that, you know, excess food is donated, right? It's, It's not just a, you know, hunger issue. It's not just a resource allocation issue. It's a huge environmental issue, right? I mean, we waste 40% of the food we produce and it, you know, it's, it's a huge natural resource drain. We're using, you know, half the U S land, 80% of fresh water, and we're wasting 40% of that. Right. You know, it's just a huge multifaceted issue. I, I kind of always, you know, draw the analogy of like this plastic straw movement of like, all of a sudden I felt like everyone was saying, Hey, you can't have plastic straws. You have to have paper straws. And I think, Food Rescue will be something similar where we do expect over the next few years that people are, there's going to be a tipping point and and people will really demand and expect that their restaurant donates excess food and, you know, not throws it out, right? So yeah, we're super excited about the future, lots of exciting things, but uh, really appreciate you having me on today.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience with the NYU community. This has been Emily Anderson with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for
2: listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Emily Anderson with episode guest Robert Lee. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Ben Barzilai, edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Danielle Crystal. Haley Garofalo, and Joseph Mercadante. That's all in today's work. Thanks for listening.